We're going to continue talking about discipleship today. We're going to talk about the man of peace. We've been doing some uh, talks. This is the fourth in the series on discipleship, trying to equip ourselves in discipleship. So I'm very much looking forward to doing that. But as I said all the way along, when we talk about discipleship, we also want to do some discipleship at the same time. So just get ready because there's going to be some interaction and there's also going to be a very live illustration of a man of peace because I want uh, I want Andrew to come and share his story a bit with us in a moment or two. Now just to say, I first met Andrew, it was just over two years ago and uh, if you know Andrew at all, he's quite blunt. <laughs> he tends to say things just as they are. And I remember one of the first occasions I met him, he said, I don't like church, I don't like Christians, and I probably don't like you either. <laughs> and that continued for some time that that was Andrew's basic view of the whole of Christianity, despite the fact he'd become a Christian in quite an amazing way. And then he got baptised, and then he went off for a bit, because he didn't like me at all, for some time. And then we started to get to be friends again, and uh, God started to do some amazing things in his life. And I just want to share this with you, and he doesn't want me to show this picture, actually, but just a couple of months ago, it might have even been less than that, Andrew had to actually change something of what he was saying, because as I said, he's a very blunt person. He had to come up and say to me, Rob, I actually, it's not that I don't, I don't hate you anymore. I actually quite like you. In fact, Rob, I want to tell you, I love you. And I was so amazed at this. I said, right, we need a selfie right away of this moment. And that is the moment when Andrew told me that he loved me. So Andrew, would you just come and tell your story? We're really looking forward to hearing from you. That is a horrible, horrible picture. Is it staying for the whole talk? Oh, this will be fun. If you'll bear with me, I've made notes that I'm probably going to forget to draw from as I begin speaking. And, uh, and the tablet isn't working and technology has failed me, so we'll see how this goes. Um, <coughs> Rob asked me to give a testimony, and he said, can you condense it to 10 minutes? And I said, can I condense it to 15 minutes? And he went, no, can you condense it to 10 minutes? So those of you that know me will know brevity isn't really my strong suit. So just pray that this will be short. Um, as has already been... Yeah. As has already been said, um, today marks a whole year that I've gone without alcohol or any mind-altering substances. Um, now, I'm a chronic alcoholic, so for me, I think that's nothing short of a miracle. And when I say that's a miracle, I don't mean it's something that's incredibly unlikely and fortunate. I mean it's literally only by the intervention and the grace and the love of God that I can stay sober for a week, let alone a year. So it's kind of a long story how I got here. So what I'm now going to do is try and condense three and a half years into ten minutes. So bear with me. This might go really, really fast. Um, I became a Christian when I was 19. Looking back, I very, very clearly had a drink problem when I was 19, but I wasn't aware of it. It's kind of hard to tell when you're 19, because everyone looks like they have a drink problem. Um, <laughs> um, but I was, I was a very, very depressed individual, and I had a very powerful encounter with God. And I kind of figured, well, this Jesus guy can't do a worse job of running my life than I have. So I, I gave my life to God, and I became a Christian, and I, I turned up at Jubilee not long after. Um, and you baptized me here, and that was really, really, really significant. 
And I remember Steve Wicking saying to me, are you ready to stop living for yourself and start living for God? And, uh, and I said yes. It would have been really awkward if I'd said no, to be fair. But, um, but I, no, I said yes. And here's the thing. You could have hooked me up to a lie detector. I meant that yes. If I ever meant anything, I meant that yes. I said, I'm going to stop living for myself. I'm going to live for God. I'd, I'd met Jesus. I was, I was all in for this, man. And about a week after that, I got fired from my job for turning up blind drunk, which surprisingly is frowned upon in some companies. Um, and I was in this weird situation because I'd made this commitment and I knew I meant it. And I knew I wanted to live up to it. But the truth was my life was completely out of control. My drinking was completely out of control. Um, so I made this commitment. I knew I meant it and I couldn't live up to it. Because if we were going to be really, really honest about the situation... Actually, the first thing I thought about in the morning and the last thing I thought about at night, the thing that dictated where I went and what I did, the thing I gave all my money to, and the focus of my life wasn't God. It was Jack Daniels. Um, and I had no power over that, and I had no control over that. And, you know, I know what alcoholism is now, so I know that when it came to drink, I didn't have any choice in the matter because of my disease. I didn't know that then. I just knew I'd made a vow and I couldn't live up to it, so I diagnosed myself as a chronic screw-up. And I withdrew, and I went to a very, very lonely place. So then one day I'm at a thirst meeting. He likes this bit. This is good. I'm at a thirst meeting, and Rob comes up to me, and he says, Hey, man, I think you're an alcoholic, but it's okay, because I love you, and it's fine, and we can help you, and you're going to be okay. And I very, very directly told Rob exactly where he could stick his help. And... Very, very much resented being labelled an alcoholic. I figured, well, this guy doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know anything about what he's talking about. Doesn't know about my life. He can go back to his cosy middle-class church. I'm done. And I left Jubilee at that point, And I gave up on you. And thankfully, thank God, you didn't leave me and you didn't give up on me. And then something really interesting happened because you got this building. Um, and you just got this office block, and the whole thing needed gutting, and it needed doing up. And at that point, my life kind of revolved around three bottles of red wine a day and five episodes of Judge Judy. So I was kind of free a lot. And any time a skip needed filling, or carpets needed ripping out, or wiring needed, or whatever the hell it was I did here for six months, Ruth had dropped me a text, and I'd turn up. And, and you did something really, really amazing and beautiful. You gave me work. And you saw usefulness in me when I didn't see usefulness in myself. And you saw worth in me when I didn't see worth in myself. And a relationship could kind of build away from the Sunday morning stuff and away from the we think you're an alcoholic, we want to help you stuff. And, um, and all the time this is going on, my drinking's getting worse. And the consequences are getting worse and my behaviours when I'm drinking are getting worse. Um, and so there were a couple of times when I kind of figured out maybe this is a problem and I tried to stop and I tried really sincerely to stop. And what would happen is I'd stop for a while, I'd start to rebuild my life and then something would happen... I'd twist, I'd pick up a drink, I'd be gone again and worse than ever. And that just kind of kept repeating itself until I kind of gave up. And then one day, it was Good Friday last year and it was about 3am in the morning and I won't tell you what happened because it's not a pleasant story. But about 3am Good Friday morning, I hit what alcoholics like to call rock bottom. And it terrified me and it terrified me in a way that all the arrests and hospital trips hadn't been able to terrify me. And I realised on a very, very deep level I couldn't go on anymore. And the trouble was I didn't really know anyone I could ask for help. So I swallowed my pride and a little bit of vomit. And I sent Rob Davey a text and I asked him for help. I have no idea what I said in the text. No, I can't remember. I was drunk when I sent it. But I said I was scared and I said I needed help. And then I drank for two days to get over the fact that I just had to ask Rob Davey for help. And then I went to meet Rob Davey. 
And he took me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is where the story gets good. Because um, something really, really amazing happened. Because I realized that for the first time in my life, I was sat in a room where everybody was exactly like me. But they were sober. And some of these guys had been sober for years. And here's the thing that really, really bent my head. They were sober and they were happy about it. And they were using words like peace of mind and contentment and fulfillment. And I'm there and I've got all this shame of all the things I've been doing when I've been drinking. All the things drink's taken to me and I'm full of shame and I'm full of dishonesty. And these guys are speaking honestly about the things drink's driven them to. And they kind of had peace about it. And it was like they knew they'd been forgiven. And I kind of thought, well, maybe I can be forgiven. And basically, I needed a vision, and I got one very, very powerfully. I sat in a room, and I saw what I had believed was impossible. I saw people just like me living really decent, full lives without alcohol. So I started to have hope, and I started to have belief, and I started to have faith. And it was just a little bit. It was just a mustard seed. But it grew, and I thought I might have a fighting chance here. I could talk for about three hours about the things that happened in the first two weeks of Alcoholics Anonymous. I could tell you really amazing stories that blow your minds, but I've got ten minutes, so I won't. But I'll tell you a bit about what they taught me, because they said to me, they said, stop trying to stay sober. And I'm thinking, surely this is exactly why I'm here. And they went, well, have you tried trying to stay sober? And I went, yeah. And they went, did it work? Ah, no. You know, and these guys, they spoke to me, and these guys have been doing the alcoholism thing for a lot longer than I had some of them. And they tried everything. They said, we tried everything you can imagine to stay sober, and it didn't work. We had to admit we had no power over this. We had no power over drink. So stop trying to stay sober. Let God do it instead. And I thought, well, here's a new approach. This one might actually work. I kind of had some faith in this one because I knew I was useless. If I was having to rely on myself, that would have been terrible. They said, no, you need to do anything. Let God do it. And I met a guy who um, took me through a spiritual program of recovery. Um, which they might as well have called this a spiritual awakening in 12 easy steps. It's basically what it was. Um, And the whole idea of this program was to identify all the junk in me and all the junk in my life that was blocking me off from the God that had only ever loved me and had only ever wanted to help me. And the deal was, if I could unclear all this junk, I'd get connected to God, he'd solve the drink problem, I'd be on my way. Bob's your uncle. Um... And he taught me a lot. And here's the thing that's really interesting. He didn't teach me a single thing that wasn't the gospel. He he told me to pray. He talked about my will and God's will. He talked about replacing fear with faith. Had to confess all my sins to him over coffee in an afternoon. That was an experience. Um, And he told me I had to help others. And he told me all the stuff Rob had been preaching about for years. But here's the thing. If you put Rob on a stage and make him preach this at me, I'm just going to notice all the ways he's different to me. Give me a guy that's been chasing crack cocaine with vodka for 20 years, and I might listen. That's just me. It's not a model for the church. Um, So, basically, I did all this stuff that was just the gospel, that was just in the Bible, that was just about being honest and about facing up to some of the things in me and trusting in God. And I'm going to put this really, really simple. I woke up one morning, and the desire to drink had left me. And it's been a very, very long time since then, and I still have no desire, no, no desire to drink, and I don't need to drink, and I've got the tools to deal with reality now, and reality was something I really had a hard time with before, but in God and in faith and in this spiritual program, I have the tools to deal with it, um, and very occasionally I think about drink, very occasionally, and then a second thought normally comes, which goes along the lines of, well, that'll be a stupid idea. 
Um, and that's not even the point. That's not the good bit. This is the good bit. Because the whole world looks different now. Because I'm, I am completely different. Now, I find it very easy to love the world now, and I find it very easy to love myself, and I used to be unable to do both of those things. Um, you know, I have gratitude that I didn't have. I have peace of mind that I didn't used to have. I've been able to watch other people recover, and that's the coolest thing in the world. Um, and, and I don't always get it right, and life isn't always easy, but that's okay too, you know? I've got a greater intimacy with God than I've ever had. Um, what was going, this is the point where I really need the notes, but the tablet isn't working. The Bible says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So I give God five years' worth of alcoholism, and he used it for the good of me. And he, and he used it to draw me to him. And he used it to point out all the things that were keeping me blocked from him. And, and, and he uses it still. We, you know, we use it together because suddenly I've got a really, really great five-year work experience in helping other people with drug problems and addiction issues. Um, and I'm a very, very happy alcoholic. I'm going to make one final point, and then I'm going to let Rob speak. I was going to time this, so, but I forgot to. So I have no idea how long I've been speaking for. So I'm sorry if it went on too long, but I want to make one final point because there's a reason I'm telling you all this, and it's not just because it's a really cool story. Um, it's because it's, it's your story, and it's the church's story, and please claim this as your own. Because I rattled around this place like a maniac for two years, and I was not always a pleasant person to be around in that time, as some of you can confess. And you were only ever graceful and patient and loving and tolerant, and you only ever just kind of waited and saw that I could be more. And ultimately, it was the church that got me to AA. Rob Davy took me to my first meeting. And he took me to the place I needed to go to for me to get right with God, which for me was a room full of drunks. And what I love about this is there wasn't, he didn't call a meeting of the leadership team and appoint a committee to organize some outreach to deal with addiction and alcohol issues in the community. There were no PowerPoints or flip charts involved in any of this, thank God. What happened was Rob met me and Rob was just being Rob. And when you're all just being yourself, you're just being kind and you're being loving and you're being tolerant. And you start to become the body of Christ and life start to change. And the church becomes a very beautiful thing at that point. So there's probably an awful lot of brilliant stuff I've really forgotten to mention. But um, I'm going to hand it back over to Rob.